When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One third of the way through May. Gonna spare you a long, elongated introduction on this Tuesday afternoon as we are recording this. Got three series that are tied up at two apiece. Some big game fives coming up. Not so much for the Warriors and Grizzlies series, which appears to be on the outs. They're up 3-1 on Memphis. But... We're halfway to the conference finals. Like, we're starting to get down to the nitty-gritty. The NBA's Final Four, it's approaching. And it could be decided. It will be decided, actually, by the time we record this next week. Wild, man. We're already to May 10th. It's a beautiful day here in Cleveland, Ohio, as your boy Spencer Davies is joined by Brian Fritz, who's in the Carolinas. One of them. So it's nice and sunny. You know, we're getting into spring. I'm excited. I'm going to take walks. I'm going to play golf. Good spirits. I had to flip on the AC for the first time in like six months. Good vibes. Good vibes. Lots of good basketball. Not so much great basketball that uh, ended Monday night, but we're going to get to all four of those series. Some of the big news that came in, obviously. Nikola Jokic, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, is going to be named the NBA MVP. We know that Monty Williams, well-deserved, won the Coach of the Year award. So we're getting to that. Mike Brown, he's the head coach of the Kings, but he's also the interim head coach of the Warriors. That whole spiel, pretty crazy. But you're going to hear all about it here on Keep It at 94 with your boys, Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz. Another episode brought to you by the BasketballNews.com podcast network. And, of course, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com, Ticket Smarter, looking to go to the hottest sports, concerts, theater, and family shows near you. Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. I'd want to buy some tickets myself to uh, some of these series. Um, You know, we've got some Game 5s coming up on Tuesday night. Suns, Mavs in the Valley. And we've got another great one for you, too, in the uh, Sixers in the heat uh, with a series that's just completely been flipped on its head. But before we get into those series, before we talk about what happened on Monday night, Brian, how you doing, man? You know what I found out since I've lived here, because I've been in the Carolinas, as you put it, for a couple of years, that people that have lived here their entire life get offended when you say the Carolinas, because <laughs> there is a difference between North Carolina and South Carolina. A little thing about state pride. And, yeah, um, yeah. and I, and I love to get under the skin of one of my friends here who's lived here his entire life, basically. And I is, and when I call it the Carolinas, he gets really offended by that. Do the Dakotas feel the same way? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I'd have to go visit. <laughs> I can't say I've made my way to the Dakotas yet. I have not. 
Do you I'll, think that we'll Mexico that. and New Mexico have a little bidding war about that? Because you know, maybe hey, we're the, we're newer and better. It's like New Coke. The or original Mexico versus the yeah. the New Mexico. Who knows? <laughs> State wars. But no, man, uh, I've really you know enjoyed the the postseason uh, second round here. They've been a little bit tighter than the first round. Uh, I think that uh, there are realistically three scenarios where we don't know what's going to happen, and I think that that's what's made the playoffs so fun is that even the top-tier teams haven't really separated themselves, and we're getting, as we did in the regular season, a lot of parity right now. Well, I mean, that's what we like, too, is that these series are so close because, I mean, just look at this like in a, um, in a snapshot. The Suns come out. They win the first two games. You think this is going to end quick. Series shifts to Dallas. Now we're tied at 2-2. You know, the Heat get out to a 2-0 lead. No Joel Embiid. They go to Philly. Embiid comes back quicker than I think a lot of us expected. Next thing you know, that series is tied at 2-2. The Bucks come out in game one in Boston. They push the Celtics around and get out, you know, to uh, a 1-0 series lead. Celtics come back. They win a game. We go to Milwaukee. The Bucks are up 2-1. They have an opportunity to really take hold of that entire series. And then the Celtics put on an amazing fourth quarter. And guess what? We're tied 2-2 and we're going back to Boston. Yep. And those are the three series that are are all knotted up. And uh, we'll start, I think, with that Bucks celtics game because, uh, you know, that was the most recent one. And uh, we're not, you know, clairvoyant. So we're not going to be able to tell you what happens in Sixers Heat and Suns Mavs on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, but we will preview those. But first... Let's go into what, what happened in Milwaukee on Monday. Uh, simply put, it, as you have here on our notes, it was the Al Horford game. It was, uh, it's an Al Horford road series, and I feel like it was the same way uh, in that Brooklyn series. You know, uh, take away a couple of games here or there, but uh, for the most part in these playoffs, Al's just looked good, man. And, uh, you know, he's taking the shots that um, are given to him by the defense, um, he's locking up on the defensive end as best as he can, even though he gets pushed around a little bit by Giannis. Um, as you saw after he got dunked on, Al gave Giannis a big-time look like, all right, you've woken something up. And lo and behold, Al Horford comes out and knocks down a bunch of trays, um, puts it on the deck and dunks on Giannis, and then gives him a little bit insult to injury with the elbow coming down on his head. Uh, you know, Al just really stepping up when the Celtics needed him. And, you know, everyone just kind of assumes that if the Jays are off one night, that it's not going to work for the Celtics. But if one of the Jays is on and you have Al Horford giving a performance as he did in game four, then yeah, you have a chance uh, as far as the scoring goes. But I, I feel like, you know, Al Horford helped take them home or at least, you know, revive them there in that third. I think the Bucks were up by 11 after that Giannis dunk. Um, and then you had uh, Jason Tatum started to figure some stuff out, realize once he had mismatches uh, to just shoot and, and realize when he has someone smaller on him on the perimeter to just shoot. I think that's been the biggest, um, you know, hamper for Boston thus far is that Jason and Jalen just have been too indecisive, you know, take away game two for Jalen Brown, which was an absolute masterpiece, by the way. Um, like, like they're just not, they're not trusting themselves to shoot. Like they're, they're trying to get their teammates to involved almost in, in a way. And um, although it's good, you have Grant Williams out there shooting threes and you have, you know, some capable shooters out there that can help you out. Um, you know, Peyton Pritchard struggled. That's for sure. Um, you know, you got Marcus Smart back. That helps. But 
those are the two guys that you want to be aggressive and to be decisive. Um, and, and I think that Jason found that in the fourth quarter and really um, took it home in a nice way. Uh, I mean, those two combined for 28 of the 43 points that the uh, the Celtics scored there. Uh, kudos to Marcus Smart in that fourth quarter, by the way. Oh, my gosh. You, you know, you think Marcus Smart, you look at, you know, six four guy who's, you know, he's not built like most guards. He's definitely burlier than most guards. Um, but he was literally taking it into the teeth of the paint and shooting over like Drew Holiday. Like he was putting his shoulder down and shooting over George Hill. Like uh, it wasn't your typical Marcus Smart's just chucking threes type of deal. Um, he was actively getting to the rim, uh, but he was also making some big time shots in the fourth where he was using his strength and then shooting over the top, which um, I think really helped propel the Celtics be able to close this, close this game out. When you watch that game and the way that the Celtics really took a handle of it in the fourth quarter, in the shots that they were getting, because like you said, Marcus got into the paint. It wasn't like he was just hitting jumpers. He was putting his shoulder down and he was getting in the paint. And that's what the Celtics were doing is you could see a comfort level that they hadn't felt yet in the series, I think. And they were getting the shots that they wanted. They were more physical. And the thing that I really took out of it too, and we'll see if it carries over, is Giannis looked a bit tired. And you could really tell he was frustrated. And he looked a little defeatist, you know, there in the fourth quarter. And some of that might be like, we had this game. There is no reason we should be losing this game. We had this. We were up double digits, and we just allowed them to march right back on us, put up so many points in, the, in this quarter, and they end up with 43, like you said. And they beat them. They stole a game. And the Bucks had their chance to go up 3-1 on this series. And instead, now it's 2-2, and it's going back to Boston. And it's just kind of the way that it is flipped. Just in that game alone, I mean, Hey, the Celtics had a chance to steal game three. Milwaukee up double digits and Boston came back late in the fourth. And, you know, a just a fingertip by, away, a tenth of a second away from oh. it being tied and going into overtime. You have Marcus Smart, who possibly got fouled out on the three point line by Drew Holiday when he, he put his hand in the cookie jar. Like there were there were definitely instances. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it, it was just amazing just to watch Boston do this. And Al Horford has been the most consistent guy. He has been the guy leading Boston. I mean, he's, he's averaging 19 and 11. He's shooting 48% from three-point range in this series and 53% from the field. He has been amazing. And this is not just something like, oh, he's turned it on this series. No, 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 no. I mean, you look at what Al even did in the, in the series against the Nets. He shot 65% from three-point range in that one. I mean, he is smoking everybody here in the playoffs. And I'm watching these games, and I understand that you can get frantic and everything. You Defenses are moving around. You're scrambling. But why anybody would rotate off Al Horford on the three-point line is incredible. Make him put the ball on the floor. But just time and time again, it's almost like, well, we'll let Al shoot. We're going to rotate off him. I'm like, he's going he's gonna to bury it. He's going to beat you. And he has time and time again beat the Bucs that way. And now it's propelled them to tie the series. Yeah. And that's where, you know, your live or die situation with the Bucs, the way that they play defense. 
they're going to live with Al Horford beating them is what they're going to try to do. You know, they're going to focus all their attention in on Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. Um, it is fun to watch them uh, rotate defensively into the into the uh, the middle of the floor. I think that Brooke Lopez has done a really good job defensively. I think that Wesley Matthews has done a decent job defensively as well. Um, Drew Holiday, we know how good he is on the ball um, and defending these guys. But uh, man, I, it's just it's tough when the other team's making shots because remember. The Celtics were not hitting anything in that first half. No. Like, and not they, a lick of threes. Not a lick. They they were having trouble. And remember, too, the Celtics are down to just an eight-man rotation. And when it comes to the Celtics, or I mean to the Bucks, missing Middleton obviously is huge. And I, and I thought that game four, it was really noticeable, especially down sure. the stretch where they were missing him. But the thing that really stood out to me is that they ever lied – a good amount on Bobby Portis in this series, and he's been pretty good. But he was ineffective in game four. He only played 15 minutes. Grace Nowen had to play a lot more. He played 29 minutes. And also, when you have the Connaughton injury, and we don't know what his status is right now, he looks like he hurt his left hand. That's going to be a huge factor. But, I mean, you don't have Portis in there playing the way that he has. Um, that really hurt them, I thought, down the stretch. It, it stood out to me. Yeah, no, I would agree, and I think that there was just maybe a little bit too much Brooke Lopez in that game. He looked like he was playing on stilts in that first half, didn't know exactly how to get him going offensively, didn't have him go and roll. Uh, they were just trying to get him the ball in the post back to basket and help, hope he goes to work, but it didn't work, and he, he looked just not good. Um, second half, he found a little bit more because you know his teammates are finding him for some dunks, grabs, grabs some rebounds, but I think that uh, Bobby and Brooke's minute load should definitely you know, be a little closer than that. Yeah, like uh, maximize how effective Bobby is. Yeah. Um and, and and you know, he's a little bit quicker off of his feet. Um, you know, brings a little bit more energy, I think. Uh Grayson uh, you know, drew the start in, in game four and um, you know, he hit a big bucket there down the stretch, but it, you know, wasn't quite enough. Uh, but what I'm looking at here in, in this fourth quarter is the way the offense was and it was just uh just kind of a a struggle. Now I want to give credit to Derek White because Derek White was just outstanding on the defensive end uh, on Drew Holiday. Uh, but to that point, Drew, the shots that he was deciding to take were not good. No, uh, I mean he the, took twenty two shots, and I get it. When but he man, found his yeah. teammates, they were good looks and smart decisions and patient decisions. He wasn't turning the ball over. It was nothing like that. But he was taking some questionable shots. Some mid-rangers didn't look good. When he did get to the cup, he was missing some layups short. Um, just looked kind of uncomfortable. And then once Giannis was in the half court again, you know, they come and try to build the wall or whatever. And, and he, you know, committed a charge, uh, you know, one of those plays. Um, I think uh, he just didn't look like he had that same third quarter uh, swagger that he had when he was beaten up on Al. And, you know, again, uh, it's ironic because, you know, the, the minute that he, you know, stared down Al Horford, Al Horford gave him that, mm -hmm, okay, look, and came back and was big time. But I want to, you know, I think that the Celtics need to give Derek White an immense amount of credit for that defense and the big minutes that he played because he played more minutes than Grant Williams. And Grant Williams has been like the X factor for this Celtics team in the postseason so far. And because maybe because Grant Williams was in foul trouble and Jalen Brown was in foul trouble, this is how it was. But Derek White played 34 minutes and he was huge on the defensive end. He wasn't, you know, this big time shot maker by any means, but 
uh, he was bringing some huge value for that team. And I think a, another thing here too, for the Bucks, you want to look out for, you, you just mentioned the Connaughton injury. George Hill was getting hunted like crazy at the end of that game. Yes, he was. Straight up hunted. And uh, that presents a huge matchup problem if he has to play significant minutes. Maybe, maybe, maybe Budenholzer goes back to that formidable three-man, three-monster lineup with Giannis, Brooke, and, and Portis. Or maybe he staggers, you know, one of those or whatever. But I, I think, again, um, the Celtics did a really good job defensively in that quarter. Uh, Derek White deserves a ton of credit. Um, and I, I think that uh, they got a little bit of um, of pride back as far as the way that they were able to match that physicality the Bucks brought to him first. Yeah, he'll, he'll get hunted definitely. And, you know, he's only a couple games back from returning from his injury. And he's still a little bit gun shy on offense. And I understand that they trust him out there to not turn the ball over or kind of make the right decision. But at the same time, if you're not getting more offensively out of him, what's happening defensively right now, I don't think that trade-off is good enough. And, no, and Javon Carter was doing a good job before that. Right, and they've totally abandoned him, and they've gone with George. Yep. You know, and, and when it goes to, comes to Drew, I mean, he's taking a lot of shots in these games. I mean, it's 5 for 22 in game four. It's okay, I think, to take shots, but as long as they're good shots and – too many times what you're seeing with the Bucks are him and Giannis ISO. going one on one. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. ISO ball, and it's just like, no man, we gotta you gotta work the ball around a little bit more. It doesn't mean like Drew can't take that many shots, but it's like it's got to be more in the flow of the offense. And I think that's going to create a little bit some more lanes for Giannis. Well, the last two games, especially, he's played incredibly well. But you know, he was he shot under fifty percent, you know, in game four, and he was still making some, you know really incredible plays, even when they're stacking the defense against him. But I think there's going to be a few more lanes available to him and they can make it a little bit easier for him and not be as physical, hopefully because he's always going to play a physical style of ball. But at the same time, we don't need him crashing to the floor on every play. And by the way, I know this has been noted by Stan Van Gundy on the game. And I totally agree with this. Giannis stop taking three point shots. Stop. Just stop. We don't need that anymore. Stop. It's a bad shot. I know you want to try to do it and just to get one out or whatever, or maybe I'll make it. Or if I get one, then the defense leaves. Just stop. He, he's horrible from three-point range in the series. Don't do it. And he's gotten markedly better at the mid-range shot, too. So, I mean, literally yes. take three or four shots, steps in and then shoot over your, your guy. And you know that you have that down. So I, they'll give him that three-point shot every time, and they'll clap. And even if he hit one or two, I think the Celtics will almost be happier if he hit one or two early because then he might stick with it longer. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but that that's really an area that, you know, he's always going to be doing this stuff. Um, I, I I know that it's not the right shot, but I don't blame him for taking them because if he does make them, then maybe you're going to have some sort of clothes on you. And if you I have a close on you, you know you're going to beat your man. I don't think but. anybody's going to close on him. I think they will back <laughs> off and be like, good for you. You hit one. You hit two, whatever. But, <laughs> I mean, fair. just imagine this now, too, because um, you know how physical and kind of like old schoolish the series has been. Mm-hmm. And there's been so much with the officiating and whatnot, too. And now we are going to Boston for yep. game five. The atmosphere there is going to be like the Coliseum during Roman days. 
a good series, man. It's a it's, really, really good series. It's and it's, incredible. It's, it's, it's a, a beaded and up series too. Like these guys, there at one point of the game, someone drove to the hole. I think it was Marcus Smart and. Four people were on the ground by the time that the transition. It's like bowling pins every time, man. Next. Yeah, it was hilarious. I and, and I mean, no one's getting like no one's got no one got hurt or anything like that. But you just you hear the bodies just falling onto the onto the, the they're court playing three on laughing. three basketball on the other end. Sometimes I mean that, that one time where Giannis and Smart got tangled up on the floor. And I mean they were playing four on four because Smart was trying to help him up, and then Giannis was like. I don't nope. know what he was doing, like almost trying to kick him down or something. I know, he, like. he like just stuck his foot out. Stuck his foot out. And finally, Smart just swiped at his foot and was like, forget it. I'm not going to help this. you up. Screw, Screw it. this. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. But, I mean, you said it, man. Goes back to TD Garden. Game five, big one um, on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, as much as I still pick the Bucks to win this series in seven, I think Boston takes the game five. They could. I mean, and here's the thing, too. I mean, for as physical as the series has been, no extra day off for the travel. Yep. And we know and we know the stat, too. Like, I think it's the the team that loses the game five in a tied series only wins like 15 or 16 percent of the time. Something I'm like still that. sticking to my guns. I still think that the Bucks win the series in seven, but I think the Celtics win game five. I think the Bucks are still going to win this series. But I mean, we got to see how Connaughton is because that that's going to be big it's huge. If, if he's injured. I mean, Looks like it's his left hand. During the season, he hurt his right hand, but um, at least it's not a shooting hand this time. Yeah, it's not a shooting hand, but still, and they got to figure out the Portis thing, you know, with Allen. I think and, they'll figure and, it out. I I think that Bud might have been overthinking it a bit. I I I honestly I would rather see less Brooke and more Bobby, or all three at the same time, and less Grayson or something like that. Yeah. Like that's what I would do, or less Wes. You know, maybe it, if you're looking to get on the, you know, the offensive end that you're trying to to figure out. Well, I'm also a little bit surprised by the Carter decision over Hill in, from the standpoint that, you know, you're not looking for big numbers, just looking good for good, steady play, especially on defense. And Carter had been delivering that and hitting the shot here or there. And I know that Hill is bigger and he's known as a defensive guy previously, but he's just coming off an injury. He's older um, and they're taking advantage of it right now. Yes. No, I would have to agree. All right, over to the Bay where we had the Warriors end up beating the Grizzlies after a knockdown drag out affair to put it lightly, uh, to put it, you know, like it was not, a, it was not a pretty game. It was not a pretty game by any means. I said that that first half was one of the most hideous halves of the postseason. Um, just a lot of bricks, uh, a lot of turnovers, and it went for everybody. There was, very few people that were having any semblance of a uh, a good game in that first half, you know, maybe other than Jaron Jackson and Tyus Jones. I thought that Steven Adams came in there and gave him a really solid boost after not being in the rotation. I think Kyle Anderson did the same thing. Uh, but on the Warriors side, it just was not pretty. They had 11 first half turnovers. Um, just, just silly stuff. Uh, well, in the series, it's overshooting, the most overshooting fast breaks and, you know, um, j just kind of lackadaisical in a way uh, in that first half. Well, I mean, in the series that's had the fastest pace and we expect the most points from, it was 41 to 38 at the half. Mm -hmm. I mean, and everybody thought like, man, Warriors are up two to one. They just won on a blowout game. No John Morant in game four. They're going to put their stamp on this one and they're going to blow them out. 
And instead, it turns into this slog of a game. It was. And one that they had to, they really had to fight at the end to, you know, get the win. I mean, they had to outscore, they outscored them by 10 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, they put up 39. They finally turned it on. But I mean, it's just weird to see Golden State struggle that much on offense through three quarters. And the big change in this game was, I mean, you look at Kuminga, who actually got the start in game three. And you could see, I think he was trying a little bit too hard. There were some frustrations out there. And then this game, he only plays five minutes. Yeah, he did. And Otto Porter was the one that stepped up. Uh, Kavon Looney with some big-time minutes. And remember, guys, I mean, Steve Kerr went into the health and safety protocols, so Mike Brown was coaching this game, as I mentioned in the intro. He was hired the same day as the Sacramento Kings head coach. Mm. So... Probably the first time in NBA history that someone's coached a different team and coached the same team that he came from on the same day. Uh, can't ever remember that one. But uh, it was weird. The, the Warriors, they, they felt like they were settling to me a little bit. Even in that first half uh, and even in the third quarter before they started making their roaring comeback, there are a number of opportunities where the Grizzlies were just overplaying them out on the perimeter to where they could have just back cut them to death. Um, and I think they're going to exploit that in game five if it continues to be that way. Um, I, You know, you have to give a lot of credit to the Grizzlies for showing up the way they did. I thought that Jaron Jackson, I know that he had the the really, you know, not so smart shot at the end of the game that, you know, could have been a pitch back or could have found a better look, whatever it was. But he played his heart out in that game. I don't care about the uh, inefficiency on the field goal attempts. You know, swatted five shots. The shots he was taking, he was putting it on the floor the whole night, made some huge, huge buckets down the stretch, uh, and, and was really attacking off the dribble, both with the left and the right. Uh, I think that uh, he did a, you know, a commendable job on the defensive end, um, not just the blocks, but the help defense and the rotations and the seamless switching. Uh, Jaron, you know, deserves every bit of respect after that game. Uh, I think Tyus Jones stepped in admirably, uh, you know, as the lead man. I think that Kyle Anderson was probably the MVP of that game for them. Uh, one of the most unique players I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Just, yeah. to, just you know, his nickname's Slow Mo. He is so weird when he puts the ball on the floor because he doesn't travel, but he looks like he travels. And or when he gets to the rim and then suddenly everything looks like it's sped down by it's tenfold. Just, it's just unorthodox the way he plays. Yeah. Well, you know, but in this he, game, he was, he did a great, he did a great job. Um, he had deflection after deflection, um, blocked a couple of shots, stole a couple of balls, um, hit the glass. He did a little bit of everything for them. And I think that that's why he, he was closing the game for them. Desmond Bain is obviously hurt more than I think we know because he has not, has not looked right in this series. Yeah. And he's out there playing 37 minutes, but he's been any banged bad up. Back, any bad back will do that. Yes. So he's mm -hmm. been banged up. Please I let mean, me talk about the other guy once you're done with Desmond. Well, well, well the other <laughs> thing was too, like, so they had no, no John Morant. Xavier Tillman missed this game as well. Okay. Bain is banged up. And then when I looked at this too, like D'Anthony Melton only played nine minutes. I was really surprised about that. I could not believe that. And Very thing surprised. Is, and what happened to Brandon Clark, you know, in this game and in this series? Because I really thought that he could be a big part of this, and he has not really stepped up. I think 
I think Taylor Jenkins is looking at the lineups that the Warriors have out there. And, you know, Draymond is only 6'8 or whatever he is. Um, you know, Looney was in there for spells, but they were going with Draymond, Otto, Jordan, Clay, and Steph. Or it would be with Wiggins. So it kind of removes the need to go big in a way. Well, I thought Clark uh, I would have I would have I would have liked to see Adams in more of that fourth quarter cuz I thought Adams brought a big a big presence uh setting some really hard screens um really attacking the glass is something that obviously the the Grizzlies have had a hard time of winning the glass battles in this series. Got absolutely destroyed again um on the offensive boards. Um uh, at least not Detroit because I guess um, Memphis had 10 offensive boards of their own, but uh, timely offensive boards. We'll say that. Um, and this is what Andrew Wiggins has been doing all series. I tweeted it out uh, on, on Monday night. I said, Andrew Wiggins has been an offensive rebounding savant in this series. Uh, and not enough people really appreciate how important those have been for the Warriors in times where the Grizzlies have gotten stops. Well, and they've done it with multiple efforts, but Wiggins is always coming up with these big boards. He's really stepped up this series, especially because, you know, the absence of Gary Payton Jr. And that's what the Warriors need right now because they need that guy that's going to be able to play wing defense and then obviously step up on the offensive end and get those offensive rebounds because Clay, you know, still isn't the Clay that we knew from three years ago pre-injuries. I mean, he's out there. I mean, some games he's hitting a little bit more. He was ice cold, you know, in game four. I don't think his defense is there yet. So, and then now with Peyton out there, it just puts more stress on them, um, especially defensively. And I think Wiggins has done a good job there, but offensively too, he's given them more and, and they've needed it. And especially too, because Draymond Green just will not shoot the ball. I mean, he took two shots in this game. I believe prior to this game, he'd only taken 11 shots in this series. So he's taken 13 shots in the series so far. I mean, that's it. And they've played four games. He will not shoot. I mean, he will sidebar. Dr- it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts, and, and this probably applies more to the Bucks and and Celtics series. But there are so many times where guys are getting into the paint, and all they have to do, even if they're not looking up, um, yeah, they're just put right it up on there. the glass. They're and right there. Just throw it off the glass. And throw it off the glass and get a layup instead of shooting. Instead of passing it out or passing it to the middle for a jump shot. Yeah. just try a layup. Well, try so many layup. different times, like they're throwing it out to the for a corner three. And it's yeah, just like, I'm, of course, at least get the contact, go to the line. I mean, with Draymond, I don't expect him to shoot a ton. Um, and he, you could definitely. The only tell shot him. he made was like the first, it was like the yeah. first like three minutes of the game. But I mean, it was in, like this spinning thing in transition. I was like, damn, that was a really nice move. In and the then past, you didn't see him take a shot. Yeah. I mean, in the past, he would take three pointers and, you know, sometimes he would get hot, you know, every, like every fourth game or something, but you know, he would go like one for five or something from three point range. And, you know, and it's just like, I get it. If you don't want to shoot threes, I mean, you could totally tell he's not comfortable with that. That being said, when he's driving, like even then, they're, they're almost kind of like, yeah, I don't believe you're going to shoot. And he, I think he needs to have one of these games where he drives and he just puts it up on the glass every time or tries to get contact. I mean, because he's got to take like eight shots, dude. Yes, like, exactly. Like, just You got to make them be a little bit more honest about that. He's only taking two shots. I mean, he's having a huge effect on these games on the glass you know, with assists on offense and, um, you know, defense, obviously. But it's like, I, I need him to shoot more. He needs to shoot between like six and eight times a game, I think. at least. And, yeah. and even that's not that much. No, no. My, okay, last comment on the Warriors. Uh, I think Mike Brown went away from 
the lineups they needed in the third quarter when Memphis did make that run. Uh, they didn't have Steph on the floor. They didn't have Clay on the floor <laughs> at the same time. Do you think Kerr um, was trying to FaceTime him? Or I have no idea what was going on. Uh, shout out to Otto Porter. Thought he was tremendous. He's been tremendous the last two games mm-hmm. uh, for the Warriors when they were in uh, the Bay, of course. But uh, I, I thought that uh, Looney was really a big, a big uh, factor that, that changed things for them off the bench. Now to the elephant in the room. Now to the elephant in the room. Um, what happened in the course of a year to Dylan Brooks? I, I, I am flabbergasted. I am befuddled at how this guy, who at this point last year, in a play-in series game with this same team, somehow has just completely gone off the rails. It's it's kind of inexplainable. Uh, he's nowhere near on any of his jump shots. He's taking the worst shots possible, and I know that that's part of the Dylan Brooks experience. He's somebody that's extremely confident in himself, and I get that. But he's trying he's too still, hard. He's still, he's still dishing things out, you know? But it's just some of the decision making, like the especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter when they were still leading. I, I just don't get it. I, I he's nowhere near the basket, and uh, he's he's a lot better when he's trying to drive and he's in transition or whatever. And usually on the defensive end, he's great. He was not good defensively in this game at all. I am just. I don't know how in one year you can lose it like that. Just mentally, you can lose that. It's not It's not that he's lost his confidence. He's just playing extremely dumb. Like, yeah, I, he's not playing smart basketball. He's playing too loose. I, I, I really think that he's trying too hard or he's feeling like, especially in a game like game four or what we saw, oh, we don't have Ja. So somebody's got to take those shots. Somebody's got to step up. It's just like, no, that, that's not what this Memphis team has been, especially when Ja has been out. Because remember, what's their record without Ja? It was like 20 and 5 or 20 something. 20 and like 5 that. coming in, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's, it's based on sharing the basketball, fluid offense, you know, and get, you know, taking the shots when they're available. And he's just pressing it too much. He's just trying to do too much, I thought, out there. And, and that's having an effect on everybody. Sure. I, but I, I, it's still just wild to me, though, how you can lose it in a year. It's not like, I mean, I know he had an injury, but I mean, it's not just this game, Brian. It's, it's been the postseason. Like, that's what's weird to me. Right. He was never like a, a great shooter per se, but he was a pretty damn good scorer that could, you know, get you to the mid-range, get to the cup, whatever it was. But he's just off. And I'm talking about nowhere close. Nowhere close. He. He just needs to step back and really play within what they need. If he would just do that, I mean, even if you shoot bad, you know, I can, I can accept that. But when you force the issue this much and you do play, he's playing un-Memphis like basketball right now. He really is. And I don't know what's been said to him or who's been talking with him, but they need to have another conversation. I mean, I think he's a, a really solid player. I, I'm just, I'm just so confused by how you can go from scoring 26 a game last year 
shooting 51% for the field and 40% from deep in the five games of the playoffs he played last year. Had 13 this year in nine games, under 34% and 32% from deep. That, that, that's half the production. He's pressing. He is pressing. It's just, it, 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 it makes no sense to me. Like, I don't know how you can lose it in that amount of time, especially for how confident the kid is and how we know that he can take a game over. We've seen it before. Like, it is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it personnel changes? Is that I, what it is? Is it because job became really good? Is it because Desmond Bain's in the fold now? Is, is, is that what it is? Because I, I don't know what can be that drastic of a change in the course of a year. It I could really be, don't. hey, we're a better team now, and we've got bigger stakes are on the line because, you know, what we did during the regular season and expectations, and there could be an overconfidence that comes with that too. I mean, hey, we all know to be able to make it to the NBA, you have to be confident in yourself. I mean, people talk about like, oh my God, he's got a huge ego. I'm like, well, you have to have an ego to be this good, to make it to the NBA, to make it to any professional sports league. But at the same time, you have to control that. And there could be an overconfidence once you get there. And I wonder if that's what's going on here to some extent. Yeah. Who knows, man? I mean, I, I hope he figures it out. And I know that, it, you know, it, he had the hard foul on Gary Payton. I get that, you know, people want to root against him because that happened. And you, 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 you feel for Gary Payton because, you know, that was his moment to really shine. And uh, you, you really hate to see anyone go out uh, that way. And, you know, you hope he's back by the finals if Golden State gets there. Um, Dylan was getting the booze left and right. Didn't play game three at all. Uh, you had, you know, every time he touched the ball, he was just hearing it from the, the fans at the uh, Warriors arena. Um, I don't think that's what got to him. I just think that he's just been playing this way the, yeah. the, the whole playoffs. By the way, side note on him. Um, I don't think that what he did to Peyton, he did on purpose, obviously. No, but he wound up. It was kind of he, like he wound uh, up, and he it was deserved, a re- it was a reckless action. I think is a good way to put it. What I was going to say though is, I think the one game suspension was incredibly light, and I would not go as far to say like, well, he can't play until the other guy comes back. But what I would have said is, he's out for the rest of the series, because I okay. think that would have been fair. Because one guy's out for a series, you're out for the series too. And I think that's something the NBA has to look at a little bit more because, I mean, you had a guy that wound up. He obviously was a flagrant foul. It's not like it was just something accidental. He wound up and he got him. You know, Peyton was up in the air. He was exposed and he got taken out basically. Not on purpose, but he got taken out. Yeah. And I think it would be a lot more judicious if they would enact a a harsher penalty on the person that did it because – you know, Peyton is going to be missed. And if they advance, I mean, they're not only missing him in this series, but the next one, they'll miss him a lot as well against whoever they play if they sure. advance. So I look at it from, from that standpoint. Also on the flip side, though, when it came to the, the jaw injury, and I know what Memphis was trying to say without implicitly saying it, I don't think Poole did that on purpose. And I don't even know if that's where the injury came from. Maybe. I think he was kind of reaching around and trying to swipe at the ball and caught his hand on his knee. I mean, it looks a little bit bad, but I don't think there's anything malicious about it. And I don't think the Grizzlies are saying there's anything malicious. What they're trying to say is that's what, how he got injured and he was doing too much. And I, I don't really agree with it. I don't really have an opinion on it because 
I've looked at the replay over and over and over again. I'm like, how many times have you slowed down a camera that that's happened before with defenders on? Right. I mean, when you in real time, like, guys are trying to do stuff and you, your hand gets caught or you're trying to do whatever. And I don't and think he like yanked his kneecap or anything. I don't think I don't think he grabbed like, it and intentionally he, pulled I it. I think he touched him. He swiped it. He swiped yeah. over it. Yeah. And and I don't think a kneecap should move that quickly if it was literally just a small slap. Yeah, Personally. I mean, and, and, I mean, I don't know. I mean, was he already? Could he have already been injured and that just exacerbated yeah. it? That, I, I mean, uh, that's that's exactly what I think it was. I do too. But I mean, the Grizzlies, and I understand the frustrations of it, especially when it comes to a star player. But I mean, they were more like, yeah, I really want to see what the league says about that, you know. And um, league said nothing to see here. It's not on purpose, and we're not going to suspend him. And you know, the Grizzlies are frustrated that they've been frustrated with the officiating as well. And here we are now with the Warriors up three to one. We're going back to Memphis and we don't know what the status of John Morant's going to be. Yeah. And, um, you know, Ja was significantly limping. Um, when it, someone caught a video, I think it was Anthony Slater of the athletic uh, beat writer for the Warriors, I think caught a video of, of, Morant and said that there's a significant limp still there um, and probably not looking great when you have a day of rest in between. He Even might try to call it a out. day of rest. If you yeah. can call it a day of rest. Uh, He's so been able to come back really quick tough. from injuries, but even if he wants to come back, I, I don't know if he's going to be cleared enough to do it. I don't know if he can talk that medical staff into it. Yeah, no, that's, that's really tough. And I don't think that, that you sucks, can justify but- that. Um, before we get off of this series, I would like to say that that game four, I referred to it as a game of tag. It was, it was, it was, it was just a lot of, uh, you have the ball, you have the ball, you have the ball. Give him a hot potato. Even, yeah. Hot potato game three, by the way, uh, from what I caught, just, uh, golden state getting on fire. Clay having a really good game. Steph had 30, you know, Otto Porter again, not even just in game four, but in, in game three, just, uh, shooting the lights out. That's what, that's what I uh, yeah. gathered from that game three. So it was uh, a typical but, Warriors home game where they just yeah they scored one forty six that or one forty two that game and then it's hilarious they barely edge one hundred in the uh, the next game. It's amazing what what sports can do, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it really is amazing. Uh, but that's up three uh, one going into Memphis for game five on Wednesday. Uh, no jaw. I can't say that the Grizzlies are going to get past five. Like, it's just tough. It's tough it, for me. And I know that's typical, but I, I just think that that was a, that was a spirit breaker. Once Draymond blocked that shot by JJ. Right. Well, the Warriors I, have been in this breaker. spot. You, they know how to close out series. And I know it's going to be on the road and the crowd's going to be fired up, but it, that's not an atmosphere. Golden state is um, not going to be used to. I mean, they've been through this. Come on. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough for me to see them. I mean, that takes so much wind out of the sails uh, when you see that shot get blocked at the end there. And, you know, Grizzlies are leading it almost wire to wire. And then you, you, you know, finally give up that, that backbreaker. They go up one and then they get a stop. And then, you, you know, you have to start fouling. And not easy. Not easy to come back from, especially when you don't have your superstar. Uh, they're they're going to fight their asses off, I think. And, um, they're going to give it a go probably for like three quarters. And then I think that, uh, the Warriors, are- even if they take, I know, game put five, him out of misery. I mean, I don't see us going past six. 
Oh yeah, sure, sure. But I, we'll but I, 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 I agree I with you though. I think I think game five it ends. Yeah, especially I mean, you get that bad of a shooting night from everybody not named Otto Porter Jr. Like, and you don't win. That's that's real real tough to come back from. Because there was a if there was a time if there was a you know one out of one hundred ta- chance that the, the, these you know best two shooters ever would have a a quote unquote bad game, and you didn't come out with that win. Not looking good for you. These cards, at least. Okay, we've got two coming up on Tuesday night. We are recording this uh, right about early afternoon on a Tuesday. Uh, let's start real quick with Sixers and Heat. And the intro, like we said, Joel and Beats completely changed this series. Defensively, my God, the Heat, they don't know what hit them. Uh, Every time, you know, someone's getting into the paint, they're spraying it out. But the problem is they're not making shots. They didn't make shots at all in Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, you have to credit Bede and Bede for deterring them at the rim. Uh, I think it, I don't have a stat for game game uh, four, but I know in game three as the primary defender, he held his opponents to 4-17, <laughs> which pretty damn good. Pretty damn good, Brian. Um, so... Uh, the Heat aren't making shots on the outside. Uh, Jimmy Butler's had to go superhero mode for two straight games. By the way, that game four, I think, was his all-time game. I think that was probably a top three performance in Jimmy Butler's career in the postseason. He was doing it all through the contact, uh, getting to his mid-range spots, hitting the big shots, um, steals. Like He was doing it all. So I feel bad for Jimmy because he gave it his all. Uh, but well, they they wasted much, a Jimmy game. Philly. That that's the problem now with Miami. They've wasted a Jimmy game. Two when, when when he when he has games like this when he's putting up forty, you got to win those games. I mean, even game three, even though I mean, yeah. even though it was a blowout. Like Jimmy played well. Yeah, he played really well in that game. I thought he played really solid in the Philly, in both Philly games. Um, we have to talk about James Harden. Uh, game four looked. As close to Houston James as we've seen. He's back, baby. James Harden is back. Okay. Not going to go that far. I'm not mean either. <laughs> I, I will give him props. Uh, he was playing the game. He was making great bounce passes, finding cutters. Um, wasn't quite getting to the rim still. Doesn't have that first step. Actually, if you guys want to check out uh, Matt Brooks, he wrote an article for us on basketballnews.com. Did an excellent job of breaking down what James Harden did well in game four. And I'm just basically uh, rehashing what he said, but basically he did still doesn't have that first step uh, kind of playing at one speed. And that's kind of why his, he's got mixed results, um, you know, in getting to the cup. Uh, he's shooting a very, very uh, paltry career low within three feet of the rim. Um, so he's still having troubles finishing in that essence. But what he did have going in game four was that classic step back. And um, he was shooting over the top guys. Uh, I think he he made four step back threes in this game. You know, one or two of them were huge uh, in the fourth quarter. He was basically the one that that put Miami away. Um, And I think here is where we might be a little too quick to say that the the Sixers are back. Yes, Joel Embiid makes all the difference. Um, But Here's where I, I was at this, and even Eric Spolstra said this after the game. Uh, Philly was living dangerously. 
a lot of end of clock shots came in this game. And yes, they went down for Philly. But that's not always going to happen. The Heat were playing fine defense. I don't I don't think they had any defensive issues. Um, you know, Bam's kind of getting beat up a little bit, but who wouldn't? It's Joel Embiid, you know. Uh, but he's still doing solid on the switches. I think um, you know, you you have a lot you have a lot of guys that are able to body guys up, like the PJ Tuckers of the world. Max Struess got in foul trouble. There were a couple of wishy-washy calls in that game, and <laughs> you, you you definitely saw that on Max's face. Uh, you know, you're probably going to see a, a lot more Victor Oladipo in Game 5 because, I mean, one, Kyle Lowry, you knew the hamstring was bothering him, and he re-aggravated it. But, I mean, in, in, in Game 3, he attempted four shots. And in game four, he didn't make a single three. Uh, just looked, just does not look like Kyle Lowry. He, he just looks. Uh, I mean, he's limping around. In a way. He yeah. comes out of the game and you're like, okay, he's done. And the next thing you know, like 10 minutes later, he's back in the game and yeah. he's, he's dragging a leg. Yeah, no, he is. And he's trying to fight through it. And, you know, kudos for him on that. Uh, but he's <laughs> in game three and four, he definitely um, was, was doing some, some Kyle Lowry acting jobs, uh, as we've seen in the There's been a lot before. of acting job. I mean, some of these games sure. I've watched, I'm like, am I watching like um people trying to show they're real for an Oscar or are we watching basketball? Well, that's why I'm proud of James Harden, because in game four he wasn't he wasn't doing any of that. You know, James James was making his step back shots. He wasn't even falling on the threes that he was shooting than what he usually does. Um, you know, he was He's trying to get to the rack, trying to finish inside, but he was finding guys again in transition on cuts. Um, entry passes to Joel Embiid were legit. Um, very, very, very important. Um, I think another aspect too about this uh, Sixers team, you had Danny Green make some big time shots. Corners where he's been living, and he's been making uh, Miami pay uh, uh, in there. Uh, he went off in Game Three. You know, I think twenty one points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, didn't have quite as, as high of the point total in game four, but, um, was, you know, really, really huge in, in again, the, the timely shots and with, you know, his teammates trusting him. So, uh, you know, you have that, uh, Maxi is again, the perfect, you know, two or three, whatever you want to call him in the pecking order. But he, in game three, he was all over the place in that fourth quarter. Um, getting steals and tracking down loose balls and whatnot. Um, he's just uh, been, become so important to this team. Doc's even given him the most minutes out of all the guys. Probably one, because he's young, but two, um, just because he's so quick, he's so energetic, and he probably, you know, lifts his team in that way a bit. Um, and then, you know, I, I think as Joel Embiid uh, progresses with this this concussion symptoms that that have finally gone away. I think that we're going to see more dominance. Um, this is going to be a hell of a series. I, I I'm glad that he's back. Um, I, I still think Miami is absolutely a deserving number one seed, but that doesn't mean that the Sixers are going to be a you know a walk by. Well, so you, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does on Tuesday because I think Jaws just going to be in it for another one. Go back to the day before Game Three, and there was a report that came out that said. Well, Joel was finally able to look at his phone without getting a headache. And you're like, oh boy, 
And he comes back the next day and he's playing and you're like, okay, how's he going to be? And you could tell there was an adjustment and everything, but I mean, as you would expect with a guy of his magnitude, the Sixers have just looked so much better and so much more comfortable with him out there. And we can sit here and talk about the offense, but to me defensively and what he has been able to do to curtail the heat and the paint and everything has been huge for this team so far. And you know, Harden playing a better game. I, I still think that even though he shot 10 free throws, he not only doesn't have that burst on that first step, but I don't think he wants the contact anymore. You can see that to some extent. You know, he's shying away from it a little bit more. But if you can get this kind of effort from him where he's hitting those step back threes and he's getting enough free throws, um, and on top of that, Tobias Harris has played well in this series. Danny Green's kind of all over the place, but he had a really good game four. And I mean, he's important for them because he's going to be, you know, left open enough. So it's, it, it's kind of a coin toss right now on this series. When I look at it, I know that the heat have two of the next three back on their court, but their offensive struggles have been something, man. I mean, they're relying so much on Jimmy for offense you know, and during the season, they relied a lot on Hero. So when he's not going, you know, they, they've got these He's struggling problems. when they're sending two with the ball on him. Yeah. And, they're and, struggling, and he's giving it up, and, you know, some guys aren't making shots. And that's, look at how much they've much had the to of it. rely on Oladipo in the series. And, two, I mean, we've, we've mentioned this last week, too. But the absence of Duncan Robinson, and I get it, because, like, the Sixers are already hunting Hero on defense. And if you put Robinson out there as well, that's another guy they're going to hunt. And maybe you can't play them both at the same time or whatever, but they need open looks and they're having trouble finding open looks. I just wonder. He will can, play in game five. I, I'm putting it down now. I'm just saying, like, get him out there. 15 minutes. Yeah, 10 to 15 minutes, man. And, yep. I, and, and I know there's a, there's a trade off defensively, but man, I mean, he's just, just to keep everybody honest out there. Yes. No, agree, agree, one hundred percent, man. Agree, one hundred percent. Again, like I said, all timer from from Jimmy Butler. I, I'm not by any means suggesting that, you know, this isn't like a uh, a number one seed, a true number one seed, because I mean we have something going on. Same thing over in the Western Conference, um, but this is just again showing the parity that we have in the league. And uh, I think it's a good thing, and hopefully we see the same you know type of effort you know come from from Harden. But I'm telling you right now, Philly, you're gonna have to execute offensively better. You're not gonna live with six uh, shots at the end of the shot clock between like zero and five seconds. You're not gonna hey, do it. Well, have you missed DeAndre Jordan though? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I was trying to say that with a straight face. No. Um, at least, you know, Niang found a couple of shots too, that he wanted to hit. Um, you know, Paul Reed is giving him some hurts, but decent minutes. Yeah, sure. Sure. No, no question. And you have the right guys to match up and stuff. And Tobias is still playing good ball. You know, this is good. This is good that the Sixers are finding this. Uh, we'll see what happens in game five there. I mean, it's just, it's just a banger of a series. I mean, like I said, I, I have no idea who's going to win this. I mean, it almost feels like whoever wins game five could take this one just because they're so back and forth and they're so close. Yes. From one, one seed to another one seed and another tie series. Suns Mavs two, two. 
wow, this one flipped on its head quickly. Uh, you know, first two games, the, you know, the Suns, you know, pounded them, uh, you know, in fourth quarters. Uh, we saw the way that uh, they hunted Luka in game two. You know, game three comes around and Dallas puts the clamps on them. Dallas straight up put the clamps on defensively. They were great. Um, and that was the thing I forgot to mention in the Philly series, by the way. Sorry. Uh, but Matisse Dybul. Oh, God. Uh, it's so good. on defensive end. But Mavs did the same thing on Friday. And, um, you know, you credit a lot to Reggie Bullock and, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, Maxi Kleba, huge on the defensive end. Reggie Bullock uh, has but, been hounding guys bringing the ball up the court. And I know you're going to get into this, but, you know, it's been two off games for Chris Paul. And quite mm-hmm. honestly, I can't remember the last time that I saw him this discombobulated in a game. Poor dude on his birthday, too, on his 37th birthday. He's been playing amazing basketball, and then he goes out and turns the ball over seven times in the first half of game three. <laughs> but the game four one, I mean, that was totally uncharacteristic. But mm-hmm. the game four one, and I, he was in foul trouble the entire game. He just looked off he looked lost and then on top of that you had the off the court stuff with his family which was Mm -hmm. beyond weird to say the least and i can understand that upsetting money buddy but like he just did not look engaged and part of this game which is totally strange for him yeah it is um and you know they don't have devin booker going who knows how close this game is uh i think that you know the mavs found just the the way to shoot I mean, Thousand Tons was on fire. You had my guy DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith, hit eight. That was crazy, man. Uh, You texted me that day. I'm thankful that you did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, yeah, the the others are shooting well. Jalen Brunson found a groove the last two games. What I tell you in those first two games in Phoenix, man, it wasn't Jalen Brunson. He was in foul trouble for both of them. He just didn't have that same attack mentality. Um and, you know, he found that in Dallas, thankfully. And I think he's going to bring that into game five, too. Well, you don't expect the Mavs to shoot 20 of 44 from three-point no. range. And you don't know if that's going to be replicated. But they got so many open looks, and they took advantage of it. And that, that's sure. the thing that stands out, because Phoenix, who had, I believe, the number three defense during the regular season, they got beaten up here a couple of times. They're giving mm-hmm. up some points. And it's not just all Luka, because, like, he had 26 Points Luca was one of ten from three, right? And you know he only had nine to twenty-five shots. It's not like he's tearing it up, you know, hitting a high percentage of shots. And I almost wonder if Phoenix would be better off just saying, "Luca, if you want to get yours, get them." But we're not going to let everybody else get off. We're going to challenge everything else. I it, it's the age-old question. The age-old old question. And and the and one of the weirdest things too is the guy that I kind of thought was defensive player of the year during you know season was Mikael Bridges. He has not looked like defensive player of the year. Well, I think that the strength of Luca is one thing. Um, as I have here on the notes, what I notice about this series, and it's something that I mentioned on basketball news's Twitter spaces last Thursday when they were down. No two said, well, Luca's at his best in this series when he's not settling, when he puts his butt into your chest and starts backing you down because he's a big boy. He's able to get and ones. He's able to turn around and hit jumpers. He's able to, anytime it looks like he's in trouble, even if there's two or three guys swarming him, he'll just go up with his shoulders and he'll 
knock it off, off glass. Luca is just so powerful at his size. He's such a unique player uh, that he's able to score well that way. But at the same time, when he does draw that attention when his back is to the basket, then you do have Dorian Finney-Smith open in the corner, Reggie Bullock in the corner. You have Maxi Kleba up in the, the, at the top of the key uh, ready to stroke. You know, like that's what's happening in this series. And, you know, the other thing that's happening in this series is Phoenix is turning it over. They've been a little less decisive on the road. I think that um, it, it's not even just visible in the turnovers when they, they make bad passes, but more in the sense of they've been kind of unsure a little bit of what their next move is when they catch the ball. Let me ask you this when it comes to Luca, because as talented as he is, how creative he is offensively. Is it tough to watch him sometimes when he's this theatrical? Because he's really going all out right yes. now. Like there's extremely, I mean, Nicole this Jokic is, can be the same way. Dude, this is Trey young sniper in the crowd. You know what we're watching right now. I mean, no, hundred percent. And I, I agree hundred like, percent. He needs to get rid of that crowd. Calm that down a little bit. I understand you're trying to get calls and whatnot, but like, man, I, I was watching that game. I was just like, this dude's going to get, he's going to get three fouls in a row and he's going to have five. I mean, he's going to cost himself like, you know, half of the game he's going to have to sit because he was just on a tightrope trying to get calls and getting fouls himself. And I was just like, this, this could change in a dime. Too many NBA players watch soccer. Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, he's just all over the place. I mean, and I was just like, I, I don't to watch somebody complain or try to get every call the way he was. And then just saying like, man, I want to watch this dude play. And he is like on a razor thin line here of picking up two quick fouls and he's going to have to sit for a quarter. Yeah. And and you don't like to see the whining. The whining is really annoying. Yeah. Like I, I hate that. Um, but you know, Phoenix gets back to, uh, the Valley on, uh, Tuesday night. I keep forgetting what day it is. I can never think. Uh, but that's the uh, second of a doubleheader. But we expect tonight. Chris Paul to play totally different. Sure. Tonight. Sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No question. And, I think DeAndre the, Ayton gets going too. I that's think what DeAndre I was Ayton say. hasn't been he's uh, do as more. aggressive as he's needed to be. They they have an advantage there, and I know it can be a little tricky on the defensive end. But man, they with Ayton, they've got to get him involved more. He has to do more in these games because I mean, he fourteen and eleven. He's I mean, he's out of presence. But man, you want to step up. You want to be a big time player in this league. I mean, now is his his chance because he. They have an opportunity in this series with him, and they got they to do. take advantage of that more. They do. They do. So, uh, oh, and uh, by the way, uh, good to see Cam Johnson get going for Phoenix uh, on on Sunday. He'd been kind of a, a missing person in this in this series so far, and his minutes were you know kind of on the decline. Um, but maybe that gets him going for this series. We know how 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 good. Cam Johnson can be uh, for the Suns team as we saw last. But campaign and Cam Johnson, they've been hunted a little bit. Well, campaign on like I love the guy. He is uh, one of the nicest dudes in the world. He has just not been good he, in the playoffs. He, it, He's not been year, good, and he he honestly he should not be in the rotation. Last year he had such a coming out party in the postseason, and then. You look at what he's done this postseason, and I agree with you. He should not be out there. He should not be in the rotation. Um, if I was Monty Williams, and by the way, congratulations to Monty for winning Coach of the Year. Uh, I would be trying out Aaron Holiday. I would be trying out Landry Shaman at the one because it, at some point these cam minutes are gonna gonna nip you. They're gonna they're gonna really hurt you. Um, and, and I mean, 
that's on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end. Uh, you know, it's just it's hard to watch when when yeah. uh, CP3 and Booker are sitting. He um, was so good last year, though, and just to see what he's doing. No, this, I, I love the know, dude. Like, I, I think he's incredible. one of the nicest dudes. It's just uh, it, it's been tough to watch Cam in this postseason, and he's just he he looks like a shell of what he was last year. And I think that uh, you have some real decisions to make as far as what his minute load is going to be. And, you know, they, they've been declining a little bit. I mean, he's only playing around 15, 14, 15 minutes a game, but he's really, really hurting them. He's hurting them. So, okay. Uh, so let's go down the list and, and pick what our, our game five results are going to be. I'll start with what we just talked about, Phoenix and Dallas. Going to go with Phoenix in game five at home. I agree. I'll go with Phoenix. I'm going to stick with them. But, man, the Mavs have made a series of this, and it's a they lot have. tighter. And I, I think Phoenix is going to pull it out in the end. But I got um, Phoenix in six. I still have Phoenix in six, yeah. But, well, yeah. you know, I'll say Phoenix in seven. Okay. All right. Well, I got Phoenix in six uh, in this series still. Uh, Sixers and Heat, I'm going to go with Heat in seven. Uh, and I think that uh, game five is going to go to the Heat. I agree. And um, I mean, if they get to a game seven, I mean, that is just going to be a grinded out physical tense. Take the under on that game. Yeah. Take the under on that. Take the under on that game. Uh, I already gave you my Celtics bucks pick. I'm going with the bucks in seven, even though the Celtics win game five, that's an interesting one for me. Uh, and then as I said earlier, I've got the warriors winning in Memphis in game five and closing that series out. Yeah, I would agree with both of those. I mean, the Bucks Celtics one, it, it's just tough because the Celtics have momentum now. Can they, if they win game three, they, all the pressure obviously is on Milwaukee then, but they get to go home. And, you know, this is what Giannis does. I mean, he steps up in these games and he's going to have to again. Um, and that, that, that series is fun to watch. It really is. It, it's just so physical, but it's, it feels, even though they're putting up over 100 points each, and, at the same time, it feels like every bucket is just so important Critical. in that game, you know? And then mm-hmm. I think the Warriors are the Warriors. I mean, give a lot of credit to the Grizzlies for what they've done this season, but I just feel like it's a year too early. And the Warriors, with their experience, I think are going to close this one out. Yeah. And again, sucks that, you know, Doc can't be a part of that. Um, all right. Uh, like, before we get out of here, just a, a few news things. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Adrian Wardenowski of ESPN. Spoiling it for everybody, uh, Nikola Jokic wins MVP second consecutive season. I'm going to want to look out for Tom Thomas' article on basketballnews.com on Joel Embiid. That did you have Jokic? Interesting. Um, I did not. I had Embiid um, on, on my personal list just because I think that, you know, just because James Harden got traded for just because that happened doesn't mean that it should negate everything that Joel's done. And as we've seen, uh, and this is not a postseason award. I'm not bitching. I'm not moaning. I'm not complaining because Nikola Jokic is absolutely deserving. And anyone that uses his postseason, his team losing in five against a juggernaut Warriors team uh, can, you know, go, you know what? So, um, but but I think that Embiid was just uh, definitely uh, definitely dominant this year and just as deserving. And I think, you know, Again, even though it's not a postseason award, you see the effect that he can have on this team. And um, it's going back tied series to Miami for a reason. So um, that's who I had for for my MVP. I had Jokic, but 
man, it was it was so tight. And I, neck I was and neck. I was like flip flopping by the end. I mean, yep. that was back and forth. But I was like, you know, I I had him personally. You know, especially in the second half of the season, I go, I'm going to stick with him. But um, I would have been perfectly happy if Embiid had won as well. Right, right. Just mentioned this, but Monty Williams, coach of the year, that's official. The MVP thing is not official yet. It hasn't been announced, but Monty Williams was announced on Monday. So congratulations to Coach Monty. Uh, Well-deserved. Probably a year too late, if we're being completely honest. (laughs) Um, He was runner-up last year to Tibbs. Yes, and I I think that he might have might have gotten jerked around on that one, uh, but a, a runaway winner in this well, one. Well, Tibbs brought new basketball back to New York. I mean, come on, it's back. Yeah. Oh, well, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I mean, Tibbs so, did a great job last so year. The, There's nothing against it. I just, you know, course. the frustrations that the Knicks and fans have, you know, like, oh, we're back. Here we go. And then one year later, it's like. <laughs> yep. Um, but Monty, you know, runaway winner actually, and there were a lot of, of people to consider in this. So, you know, it's good to see this. Um, Monty ended up with 81 first place votes. The next, next person up was, uh, Taylor Jenkins. Um, and then you had third place Spo, you had Ime Odoka fourth place, and then you had Cavs head coach JB Bakerstaff, uh, placed fifth. So, um, surprising to actually see Ty Lue there, um, below some of those names, but, um, Good job um, for for Monty, and and I'm I'm happy for him that he got that done. Don't know if we mentioned this last week, but uh, Tyler Hero won Sixth Man of the Year award, um, and Ja won uh, MIP. So uh, award season is slowly winding down. Can't wait for the uh, All NBA teams and the All Defensive teams because I'm sure that we're not going to have any arguments or any kind of discourse never. about that. Never, never. Oh, and by the <laughs> way, you mentioned this before, but you know Mike Brown gets the four year deal to coach the Kings. Um, Mike, you're on the clock, and uh, if you don't get him in the postseason next year, you could be fired. Um, <laughs> geez. I mean, well, I was that- laughing because I was getting texts throughout the game, and I love Mike. Mike's great. He's one. He's one of the you know top coaches I've covered. He's such a nice guy. Um, he's, he's actually one of the first coaches I ever covered uh, in 2013 with the Cavs. I wasn't covering you know the the Cavs when they were on their finals runs because I was 16. Um, but he did come back in 2013 for a year. Uh, it was able to have some some conversations, some interactions with him. Um, very nice guy. Um, glad that he got this head coaching job. Um, but I was getting texts throughout that Warriors game about how the uh, the, the, the first game that, that Mike coaches the uh, the Warriors that uh, <laughs> they scored 38 points in the first half. Hey, I'm a head they, coach they in this league. We're going to do things my way. Watch this. Well, did you hear Steph at the end of that game slight the Kings? Oh my God. Did you hear that? I didn't. What did he say? You didn't? No. Oh my gosh. It. Oh, let me read this quote. Let me read this quote. Cause oh. it's, it's, it was, it, I have to get up early in the morning. So I couldn't no. watch the post game. So stuff. Steph on the TNT post game interview, uh, you talk about historically bad shooting. I felt like we got traded to the Kings overnight. Whoa. Just, just, uh, just, just flaming them for no reason. Catching a stray wow. when the Kings are sitting at home. They're having a good old time, enjoying the weather in California. And, they just end up getting reamed by Steph. See, see, here's the thing. I think that was more of a jab at Mike, but the Kings obviously got hit in the crossfire. Yeah. I mean, he was having, he was a playful comment towards Mike, but the Kings were the ones that really caught the brunt of that. <laughs> All right. Do we have any theme music? I, I feel like we need some theme music for a Lakers head coaching update. With oh, Brian hold on Fritz. one second. Can I give you another thing for news while we've oh, been yeah, taping? Sure. 
Um, sure. So Joe Cronin, who was the interim GM for the Trailblazers, he's officially been named their GM, and he got a four-year deal. All right. Congratulations to Joe. Yeah, I know he had a great working relationship with, with Damian Lillard. You see them talking a lot at those Blazers games um, and, and seems to be someone who's making proactive moves. They, you know, brought on Josh Hart, did a good job doing that. Um, you know, Justice Winslow into the fold, um, you know, had, had uh, the deal where he, he honestly made a, made a solid um, move by, you know, putting Brandon Williams in possession to, to succeed. And he was one of the more underrated stories of the year, um, even though that the record wasn't reflective of it. Um, so we'll see. What happens? Maybe they, you know, the the big name everyone's talking about is Jeremy Grant with that team. Uh, I feel like uh, I, I've seen some reports from I think it was ESPN's Brian Windhorst uh, that uh, the Blazers could be a under the radar team to look out for Levine. Uh, so definitely uh, pay attention to what Joe does uh, over his tenure there. We'll see if you know he can make Lillard happy and and put them back into that playoff conversation. Now on to your Lakers question about Lakers head coaching search with uh, Mike Brown now out of the running for the Laker job. That means there's only 11 other names connected to that job. 11. 11. Adrian Griffin, Alex Jensen, Scott Brooks, Darvin I like Ham, those first two. Uh, Marvin, uh, Marvin, Mark Jackson, uh, Terry Stotts, Steve Clifford, Juwan Howard, Doc Rivers, Nick Nurse, Quinn Snyder. And the Lakers are taking their time with this, and they got to see if Snyder, Nurse, or Rivers even become available. I love hearing the name Terry Stotts. I think that's uh, that's that's the probably the best one that they've got so far because he's not a bit like a huge name head coach, but he's someone that's going to garner respect. Well, the guys that have interviewed uh, so far like, are Stotts, Jackson, Ham, and Griffin. Okay, I like Adrian Griffin a lot. Uh, I like Alex Jensen a lot. Uh, I actually got to know Alex a little bit here too, because he coached the uh, the then Canton Charge for the G League uh, Cavs. Uh, they had that. Um, I think a name that should be in this this ring too is David Vanterpool. I you know it's someone I'm gonna keep speaking into existence until it happens. Uh, so, but again, as, as we've said in our text change, I, I think that you can get somebody who's not a huge name, but someone who's developing and up and coming. You know, I pointed to, you know, a Willie Green. I pointed to, you know, uh, someone like, uh, you know, a, a, a Steven Silas or a Jamal Mosley. I know that those aren't the best examples as far as winning goes, but they're de they're developing a, a, a solid culture. And I know that you don't want to mess around with those, you know, guys that can't quote unquote win now. But sometimes, you know, you have to do that. Maybe go after a Jock Vaughn or, you know, something like that, some some sort of situation where a guy knows knows how to win, but also can garner the respect of his players. Well, I know the Lakers are talking about like, Oh, we got to get this right. You know, and they're, you know, talking about these big names when it comes to, you know, Quinn or Nick nurse or doc. And here's the thing though. If you look at the Lakers track record outside of Phil, they don't want to pay coaches. And remember they, I mean, Frank Vogel was their third choice and that's because he tried to lowball both Monty Williams and uh, Ty Lue. And you can't tell me they're not going to try to do the same here, you know, with whoever they're going to go after. And that's why I think it's going to be more of somebody getting a first chance or somebody on a second chance, but has been an assistant. You know, um, I don't think that that Nick or Doc are going to be available. Um, Snyder might be, but I don't know if he really wants that gig. 
Um, I still think Darvin Ham is the guy, but we'll see. And, and in case you didn't know this, we have news today from Lakerland. I want you to hold on to this one, Spencer, because Jeannie Buss did an interview with the LA Times. And I know this is going to surprise you, but she's upset. She's officially upset. Oh, I know. I'm glad you're sitting down for this. Wow. She's officially upset. She's so upset that she's willing to give Rob Polinka another year. That's how upset she is. You know, I believe uh, in Rob, but you know, if things keep happening again this year, then we might have to make changes next year. Mm, mm. Mm, oh, I'm glad you're being proactive about this. <laughs> I think that's a good, I think that's a good take golf point. Uh, that was keeping it 94 folks. Another episode brought to you by the basketballnews.com podcast network. And once again, powered by Ticket Smarter. Looking to go to the hottest concerts, sports, theater, and family shows near you? Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. Order online now. Guys, basketballnews.com podcast network. Subscribe, rate, review. The Dunker Spot, the Alex Kennedy, the Alex Kennedy podcast. The rematch with a Ton Thomas, Dishes and Dimes, Nothing But Bets. Go Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave a remark, a comment, subscribe, rate, review. Do the same for us. And if you want to reach us, you can find us on our social media platforms. I'm on Twitter, at Spin Davies. I'm on Instagram, at Spin Davies as well. He's on Twitter, at Brian Fritz. And he's on Instagram, at It's Brian Fritz. Come on, leave us a comment. Interact with us. This is what we want to do. I'm all game. I'm watching the playoffs. I'm all in. WNBA season is kicked off. Awesome stuff from Mark Schindler on both WNBA.com and on basketballnews.com. Make sure you check that out. We are prepping for the draft. Tampa Bay Pro Combine's all wrapped up. You can check out that recap by Matt Babcock. You can tr- check out his 2022 mock draft. Got it all, guys. Player interview, film breakdown, player articles. It's all on basketballnews.com. So make sure you go visit. And you can listen to us anytime you want. I promise we don't bite. But until we record our next podcast and before the conference finals start, the next episode of Keeping It at 94, we'll talk to you later. 